Welcome to Shockers and Cuss Words, a podcast that dives into self-improvement, completing goals, and overcoming modern-day obstacles. I am your host, Catherine, and together we will address our fears, establish self-awareness, and complete self-growth through honesty and reflection. Remember to please like and share this podcast. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Chakras and Cuss Words. And today I have a very special guest. I have Miss Mary Delusia. (laughs) I cannot pronounce your last name, but welcome. And please introduce yourself. Let us know a little bit about you and what exactly you do or have done. (laughs) Hi, Catherine. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, so I would consider myself like a victim advocate. I was like for the first 10 years after college and starting even in college, I was a professional victim advocate and I love my job. Um, but I left for more personal reasons and I but I still am very passionate about dom- ending domestic violence and ending gender-based violence in gender or in general ending gender gender gender-based yeah Yeah, ending gender-based violence is right in general yes so I love that you were willing to come on to the show and talk about domestic violence and talk about uh violence in the relationship because it is a very um you know, it's a very serious topic and it is a topic that I do feel needs more, I guess you could say coverage, more um, accessibility where people feel comfortable talking about violence in the relationship because it is something that does happen to many people and it does happen to, while the majority is women, but it also does happen to men as well. So breaking the stigma of uh, being a victim of a violent relationship, I think is the first step. So I just want to thank you for coming on and coming on to the the podcast today. How did you kind of get started like um, in this? Did was how did you become an advocate? Uh, actually, when I went to the University of Connecticut for my bachelor's. And I couldn't afford to study abroad program. So I did what I thought was the next best thing because I grew up in the suburbs called Urban Semester, where we lived in Hartford, Connecticut for a year. And um, and we were inter- we were going to visit places as all the students were to try and figure out where they wanted to intern at. And it was the sexual assault crisis services that we visited in Hartford and they were looking for interns. And I believe I was the only person in my group that wanted to intern there. So, and learn more about um, sexual violence and which cut, which plays into domestic violence. Um, Then I interned for that semester. I got my certificate uh, my certification to be um, a violence uh, victim advocate for Connecticut. 
and I volunteered on their hotline throughout the rest of my college career and a little bit after college too, even though I could only do hotline work because I was outside of the traveling because the, a lot, uh, what advocates also do is they do police escorts as well as, or police advocacy as well as hospital advocacy. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so so you entered this kind of like, uh, right through college and when, yeah. Yeah. And then when you started to get involved, did you like, cause I guess when, you know, if you don't grow up with, um, violence in the home or domestic violence, it might be something that's, you know, very new and almost kind of like, was it like an eye opener for you? Like you were like, wow, this is, this is real. Like. It was, uh, and also kind of, it kind of opened up, um, my own personal kind of experience with it. Uh, I was a victim of, child sexual abuse um from my cousin when I was very little uh, and I don't really remember the details I know some details but not a lot of the details um but it actually working in the field it it brought all that up that I must Uh have repressed as as I got as I grew as I grew up and then I of course, did work on myself after college when I needed it um, right. while I was still an advocate to kind of um, so that I can still be professional, but also um, help heal from from that as well. Yeah, yeah. And, help, help yourself heal as well, probably yeah. in the beginning. So when you first started, how did you, how, how did you separate the, the two from your, like from past trauma and then stepping into that area where now you're helping people? How were you able to kind of get that? Because I know like as a trauma survivor and somebody who's um, dealt with a lot of trauma that sometimes when we're in that area, it's very hard to differ the two that now I'm here to help somebody versus um, being a part of the, you know, bringing up the trauma as well. How were you able to do that? Um, it was actually very easy for me to separate my professional work and my professional experience from my personal experience. And, um, because I have, I had, a, and probably still have that I'm working on breaking, a bad habit of putting everyone else ahead of my own needs, everyone else's uh, needs ahead of my own, as uh-huh. I'm sure, like, is very common for a lot of women, and yeah. and I'm sure some men, but um, right. generally, um, it's very common for a lot of and. I'm also a new mom too. So, and I'm learning a a lot of moms do that too. So from all the mom support groups I'm in, but (laughs) (laughs) congratulations. So thanks. So yeah. So I, um, 
you're able to separate you're able to separate it (laughs) from your past okay great yeah I was able to separate uh I did end up I think I lasted about a decade in the professional field and then I ended up having to leave because I really for personal reasons um I, Uh I really had to start putting myself first and addressing my own needs because like when I was interning and volunteering with the sexual assault crisis service that began my career. And then my first job was actually at a dual domestic violence and sexual assault agency. And then from there I kept, I was doing both. So, wow. But you were busy. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I ended up, well, I think I was uh, preparing for this podcast and I was listening to some of your other podcast recordings and I uh-huh. uh Dr. Jen Shaw yes 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 the narcissist narcissist yeah yes. like I, I I'm pretty sure yeah that was uh, like I know I knew it was some kind of emotional abuse but when I right. like was reviewing what the list was for narcissists I was like I think he might have been a narcissist <laughs> <laughs> yeah Undiagnosed. possibly yes narcissistic um, personalities do sometimes go into that area of um, abuse. So th- that could be a possibility. When you started doing the actual work of advocacy and helping people, can you kind of give us a background of what that was like? Like, what was it that you were um, helping them do? Um. So pretty much it was a lot a lot of everything so we were able to we called it peer counseling because we weren't certified and licensed counselors so we couldn't provide um, therapy however we did do we called it like peer advocacy counseling so we were able to provide like support one-on-one support or also support or group support too we had different support groups that um survivors could come meet and and heal together if they were in that phase of their healing journey Uh, or they could just come one-on-one we Uh provided court advocacy Um, there are so many different agencies advocacy agencies around the country and well globally Um, right but yeah, and they all provide like court advocacy, police advocacy, hospital advocacy. So I worked with, because uh, I know you're an ER nurse. Right? Yes, yes. Um, I worked with a lot of like different ERs getting called to do the, I don't know if you've ever uh, had to do or um, the, what is it, the sexual assault evidence collection kit? Yes, so... Out here in San Joaquin County, we have um, nurses, they call them like star nurses, where they basically are trained in that area and they do special training. And it's just that nurse with the patient, because when there's um, a victim of sexual abuse or some type of a sexual assault, they want to make sure that everything's very precise and most likely they will be subpoenaed to, um, to court. So it's kind of like a big deal. So, um, yes, we do have nurses who uh, specialize in that area, um, but I have never actually 
been one of um of this you know of of that sexual assault I guess you could say department or um place but yeah I have heard of it so you helped with the nurse and were you like one of the people first there at the hospital Yes. Okay. So yeah, Connecticut was very similar in that they, they call them SANES, uh, sexual assault nurse examiners. And um, you, so they you would go through as a nurse, you would go through a whole separate certification program. And then okay. there's a whole other hotline that you oh, wow. would volunteer for. And so so every night there was a different sexual assault nurse examiner on for that night, and they might not have worked at the hospital that you were at so typically the hospital would call us and also the same nurses um Uh and the advocates we had an hour and a half to get to the hospital most of us lived just because i think it takes like an hour and a half to get across the state of connecticut it's a very small state but um so most of it was for travel and um but um yeah, so we had – so the advocate was typically the first person on the scene talking to the survivor um, who was there and letting them know about their rights as a victim of sexual assault and what the uh-huh. kit entails if they chose to get one and how they don't – like, there are 14 steps in the kit. Uh-huh. Um, I believe that's in every state, right? And, yeah. Um. And they don't actually have to, just because they agree to the kit doesn't mean they have to agree to every single step. So, oh, um, okay. So, like letting them know, like, if there's a step that you're uncomfortable with, we can just right. skip that one. Um, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So, yeah. when and- you. When you would go to the hospital, were most of these women, I mean, you don't have to give like too specific of a, um, you know, of a circumstance, but were most of these women assaulted by a stranger or was it by somebody they knew? Usually, statistically speaking, it was someone that they knew. Um, okay. Yeah. It's, so. s- s- uh, sometimes you did get stranger uh-huh um, you did get a stranger rape uh that statistically speaking that doesn't happen as often um okay but it does happen but it does happen okay mm-hmm. but most of the time it's somebody that they don't know yeah whether I mean, or not know. they're no yeah yeah whether or not they're in a relationship with them or just dating them or just it's or just a friend or Okay. Yeah. So is it usually like a a date gone bad? Like, or is it like somebody was technically plotting to assault them? Typically what I've seen, it's usually if someone, if someone does, doesn't just randomly meet someone and then go on a date with them or hang out with them and decide, oh, I want to sexually assault you now. It's usually, there's usually a bit of grooming that leads up to that. Okay. And getting you to trust them and. Yeah. yeah. So it's definitely something that almost 
the person who has assaulted them most likely has assaulted somebody else as well. Mm, yes. Okay. I mean, you, there are like some instances where it, it might be someone's first time assaulting, but typically it's it, it, uh, someone who uh, sexually assaults someone is, has, is serial. So uh, they've done it in the past and they have a certain, um, yeah, they have a certain routine of grooming uh, their victims. Oh, wow. Okay. This is <laughs> like, this is just, it's just very, I guess you could say almost like alarming in some ways, you know, because as women, most of the time, um, we don't necessarily know that somebody is going to assault us or or most likely we wouldn't put ourselves in that situation. Like, it seems like it's almost like they build a trust with us and then we go and then we get assaulted. Are there, yeah. Are there any signs or, warning signs that maybe the victims told you that they kind of overlooked or maybe kind of got an intuition that something was wrong or have you heard of any warning signs that women could possibly see or kind of look out for? Uh, not for sexual assault, not there there aren't like that many like too many red flags or um there's just like a a couple because and then and even if I were to like go ahead and say and and give some potential red flags I don't really want to do that because that goes um to the part where there's something that you can do to prevent it when really there there's nothing there's nothing um, okay and I don't want to say like oh just because you didn't like right. check with your gut or you that right. I don't want to victim blame. Um, right. That's a big, that's a huge problem that we're still, yeah. we still have in our criminal right. justice system. Right. So. And then what happens like with relationships when the relationships start to get into that area of like domestic violence? Is yeah. it how, how, like, can you give me, some background on that um how that kind of happens or just does it slowly unfold where um all of a sudden just one day the partner snaps or I don't really have I've never worked um with that much with um domestic violence so I don't really know you know yeah um, yeah, so I actually went on um, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence.org, NCADV.org, and um, just reading from, because they have a lot of different support for uh-huh. um, the general public. Um, they do have an article on what are the warning signs of an abuser. And, okay. of course, like, I can go down the list or start going down the of course there's the extreme jealousy possessiveness unpredictability a bad temper cruelty mm. to animals verbal mm. abuse extremely controlling behavior mm-hmm. 
um, antiquated beliefs about roles of women and men in relationships, forced sex or coerced sex. I'm not uh-huh. if it, um, they're similar um, or disregard of their partner's unwillingness to have sex. Um, like something could be, a, it could be as little as uh, you're in a relationship. You're not really in the mood to have sex, but right. your partner is trying to make you feel bad about not wanting to have sex and um, until you finally give in and have sex, even though you don't really want to. Um, Um, Sabotage of birth control methods or refusal to honor agreed upon methods, blaming the victim for anything bad that happens, uh, sabotage or obstruction of the victim's ability to work or attend school, controls all the finances, Uh uh, Abuse over other family members, children, or pets. Accusations of the victim flirting with others or having an affair. Uh Demeaning the victim, either privately or publicly. Um, Embarrassment or humiliation of the victim in front of others. Harassment of the victim at work. Of course, um, it like these it's more these the the list that i go it's uh-huh. more of a looking for the pattern behind it oh uh, okay so. so looking kind of when when do most like w- w- when these relationships get violent and the women decide it's probably time to leave like how or how do they decide do they usually start to seek help through counseling first or do most of them kind of start to make a plan? Because I would think this would be a very um, almost a situation where it's not just easy to leave, obviously. No, it's yeah, definitely not easy. Um, When um, something get resonated in the, in the episode of your podcast where um, Dr. Jen Shaw was speaking um, uh-huh. and when she went to couples therapy and the therapist took her aside alone and said, you're not going back into that house at all. Just promise me you'll never go back there without a police escort. Right. Um, that kind of really resonated with me because like leaving uh, an abusive relationship is that is the most dangerous part. Okay. Um, yes. The leaving. Uh-huh. That's when their the abusive partner um their behavior will cha- can change and they'll start saying, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I love you. Don't leave me. I need you." Bringing gifts, trips or uh-huh. uh whatever the case, but also if that doesn't work, then uh-huh. Um, the next step is the whole, like, if I can't have you, no one will. And, and it can get dangerous, physically dangerous. Um, yeah. So, um, when women get to that point, what usually, how, how do they get there? Like, because I, I heard it takes a woman like about seven attempts to actually, um, try to leave a, abusive relationship that it's not like she just leaves the first time 
Oh yeah, it definitely takes multiple. I would, I I think it used to be seven, but even when, even though I haven't been in the field in a while, even when I was uh-huh. working in the field, we would be like, it's more like thirteen. Oh times. really? Yeah. Wow, it can, That's a lot. can take. <laughs> yeah, it can take a while because you because it's still like a it's still a, a legitimate relationship. You have right. feelings for this person and this person has feelings for you. Those feelings are real. It's okay. just a very unhealthy relationship and toxic. Right. Okay. I like that you brought it up that you still have feelings for the person because I would think that would be like one of the reasons why it's very hard for women to leave because they think the partner's going to slowly change or they they think that the partner's going to um, get better or maybe seek the help that they need and they genuinely Mm -hmm. care about this person. And then at what point does it start to resonate with them that this, this, um, this relationship isn't going to get any better. Um, Yeah. That's it. That's a personal choice right there. It's, uh-huh. um, yeah, it's a very personal choice. It, it, it has to be something that the person in the, the being abused is finally, they finally realize that, yeah, they're never going to change. And also uh-huh. they're ready to give up that person. They're ready. Cause, cause the relationship can last for years. It can last for months. It, the if if it lasts for years i'm sure like you build a foundation with this other person um, right that's really hard to give up and it's right. also really hard especially if um control of the finances was financial abuse was part of the abuse uh-huh then it's if they're expected if you're you're living a certain lifestyle and then you have to start over uh-huh. and you have to lose your lifestyle like that's also a big factor to play in. And if, yeah, if you have to change your whole life to leave this person. Yeah. Okay. So it definitely is something that is going to take a lot of time. It doesn't just happen overnight. In other mm-hmm. words. <clears throat> um, I mean, it can. Every person is different. Uh-huh. Um, but typically speaking, it does it ha- it has to take that person has to be ready to leave and uh, also prepared for the uh-huh. consequences that could come from leaving okay what um what would you say is the first step for somebody who's getting ready to leave uh, a relationship finding a support system of some okay. kind, whether it's a friend who you know is on your side and not going to um, tell your partner. Okay. That, that's definitely like, or, uh, or a family member or, or if you don't have anyone, cause part of abuse is isolation from okay. others, which um, that was actually the, I, I ended up, even though I was working in the field, I ended up falling for um, someone who was emotionally abusive. And that oh, was no. one of his things. Because um, uh, I would, he would tell me 
that my friends weren't good friends and would try to kind of stop that connection so that I didn't have them to go to. Right. Right. So, okay. But yeah. Yeah. Began to get so, isolated. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone is in that kind of isolation, then there's, um, the, there is every state, like I said, every state, every County has at least one hotline that some, that someone can call and get help and get matched with the right agency in their, um, in their, wherever they're located. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, so the first step would be to find like support for when you start to get ready to leave Mm -hmm. Okay, and find a safe place, a safe time to speak with that support and plan and start planning. Um, yeah. And then what, what would be after the first step? Do most women, because like how Dr. Uh, Jen Shaw talked about, like how she had this plan where she was going to leave a certain day and kind of tell him the date that she was um, leaving, but then it it didn't work out that way and she ended up just leaving. So when the women have a plan, what are some of the safety avenues that they have to do? Is it better to um, just leave and kind of just leave and not necessarily tell them? I guess it depends on the relationship, huh? Yeah, it depends on the relationship. Um, Even... Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't see, and leaving is the most dangerous part, so, like, telling them, oh, I'm going to leave you on this date, and, like, giving them a deadline to act by, like, they could try to be nice, and if that niceness Mm -hmm. doesn't work, they still want to leave, then it could become more dangerous on that date. That's Um, true. So typically what, like what we would do when we would safety plan with, um, with individuals in this situation is we would have them at least get some kind of bag together, like a safety bag or a safety Mm -hmm. kit together where they have some money, um, Uh like some cash available or, um, like their IDs, passports any ID, passport, birth certificate, um, uh-huh. any kind of like legal paper that could make it easier for them when they're trying to get another, uh, if they need to get another ID, um, m- maybe like a few changes of clothes, um, medications, uh, anything that they could possibly need if mm-hmm. they were, if they, if they did have to leave suddenly, Okay. Um, so that way they had a bag already in, in place. Um, okay. And then from there they can, and, and of course put the bag in a safe location that the abuser isn't going to find. So whether or right. not that's at a friend's house or in the trunk, if you have a car and you want to uh-huh. keep it in the trunk of your car and then just I don't, it put it in just like a gym bag or something that is going to be like inconspicuous right. so, somewhere yeah. 
but just plain sight that they can um, find, but somewhere where you know, it's hidden and they don't necessarily find. Um, yeah. Okay. But also easy for you to get to. But easy for you to get to. Okay. And I would think a woman who is going through this and, you know, dealing with domestic violence and all that and thinking about leaving and trying to come up with a plan that they almost feel like um, embarrassed and ashamed in some ways. And it's not necessarily easy for them to talk to their family and their friends about it. Who and where can they go to find the support to talk about it to somebody who maybe they can open up more with? Yeah. Uh, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go ahead and and give the hotline, the domestic violence um, national hotline, the one eight hundred seven nine nine, the and then safe spelled out S A F E, so seven two three three. Okay. Um, there. Uh, <laughs> it's a confidential hotline. It's twenty four seven. Um, you can call. You can give a fake name. Um, you. So you don't actually have to, and you can just call that and just talk to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then some, and some advocacy centers also have chats available too, or texts. Okay. Um, that's more, um, cause in the society that we're in, that's <laughs> everyone chats or texts now. Um, yeah. but the, the national hotline number is that's not going to go around. That's always some, somewhere. Oh, uh, okay. So that, that hotline, the number never necessarily changes or anything like that. Yeah. That hotline has been around for decades. Uh, <laughs> so, that's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. If there's, if there's, um, ever like a safe, safe time for them to call um, and and so that they can talk to them and and it's also like confidential so that if the abuser like looks through their phone and sees this number and calls uh-huh. them they're not gonna say um, they're not gonna the say that they, that they called oh but, nice okay so they won't tell them exactly who it is that um they're calling or it's like a confidential where um the abuser won't find out exactly who it is well if you call them um uh, uh-huh. they're <laughs> there there are like different steps i know during yeah, there are different steps that the advocate answering it, the phone call takes because um, uh-huh. usually they call back and then uh, the advocate will call, call them back if they don't. So it's like an answering service and then the advocate calls them back and uh-huh. you, it, they call back from a block number and they confirm that it's that they're talking to the right person that called them and if okay. it's not the right person that called them. Like if Jody called and um, Tim the, answers, right. then, then they know, Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. I must have the wrong number. 
Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> That's good. That's good to know. You know what I mean? Like, especially um, with something so fragile as, you know, leaving a relationship where it's abusive. So mm-hmm. what tips would you give um, women who are possibly thinking about leaving or considering am I in in uh I mean do women go back and forward like am I am in a violent relationship am I not like I you know is it something that they almost kind of battle with uh what tips would you give them if you think somebody is trying to leave or getting ready to leave Mm, like if they're unsure whether or not it's it's an abusive relationship yeah well i would just you know validate their feelings uh-huh and let them know that what they're feeling is what they're feeling so if their partner is making them feel unsafe or threatened at all or um or even just sad all the time then uh-huh. like that that's what they're feeling they're they they're feeling that for a reason and and it's okay okay to feel like that and um if they don't want to feel like that like it's okay to leave like they don't have to stay great so i think it's just a a major step is to just validate their feelings because a lot of what the abuser could do is um Unvalid is unvalidate. That's a word, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> unvalidate. <laughs> unvalidate what can, they're... Well, yeah. unvalidate the feelings and make them feel like they're making this all up. Like, I'm not uh, abusive. I don't know what you're... I'm not controlling. Yeah. This I is all in your head. This, you're crazy. Right. Right. Gaslighting. A lot of <laughs> gaslighting. Yes. Definitely. You see that a lot in abusive relationships and narcissistic... Um, toxic relationships as well well Mm -hmm. thank you for coming on and is there anything else you would like to mention to anybody who might be out there listening and yeah uh, okay if anyone is listening and they feel like they might be in an unhealthy or an abusive relationship um you're not alone like this happens what one in four women will be in an abusive relationship, which is a very high statistic. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it happens. And it's, we still don't really talk about it a lot. Um, we were talking about it a little bit more than in the 70s, but um, we still don't talk about it enough. And um, there's definitely help out there. Um, and you're not alone and it's not okay thank you yes it's not okay you're not alone um there's people out there who are willing to help you who have helped others and I think that is like the biggest thing is when you're probably in that area you feel so like isolated and you feel so alone like nobody else could be going through this nobody else could be feeling this but there's been people who've had situations that are similar 
Um, everybody's situation is different, but you're not alone. And there's people who are willing to help you and get you out of um, that area of violence. And, and, um, you know, I just hope that if somebody is out there listening, that they know that they can reach out to the, um, the resources like the domestic violence line and uh, reach out to others that can help them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and another thing, too, is uh, so not all abuse is physical, but mm, yes, I like that. Ev- I, yes, even, definitely mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it gets physical, once it gets to that level, it will never deescalate. It will only escalate from mm. there because once they the abuser has realized that they can be physical to either to the victim and um and get away with it because mm. they don't leave and they come back then mm-hmm. they'll just continue and see what else they can get away with oh yeah that's that's so like just sad that you know it doesn't you know that the abuser doesn't get the help or get the whatever it is that they need and they're taking it out on their partner or whatnot. And I just want to thank you for coming on and definitely opening up this conversation because I feel like it is a difficult conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't like to talk about it, but um, like you said, it's like one in four women do um, experience um, some sort of domestic violence if it's not physical or emotional, but it is something that is occurring um, with women and with relationships. So it's definitely something that we need to talk about. And the more we talk about it, I think the more people will be willing to go get help and get out of the relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So thank you so much for coming on. And Um, I know you're not in the work anymore, but if anybody wanted to reach out to you, um, do you have any resources for them that you would like to give them or anything else before we close out? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. So like I said, there's the um, National Coalition Against Domestic Violence and also the National Coalition Against Sexual uh, Violence and that... They have um, 24-7 hotlines, so I believe I gave the 1-800-799-SAFE is the DV's hotline. Mm-hmm. And Great. So and they, and I can, and the um, national, um, the sexual assault hotline. Okay. And I will put, I will put um, the resources in the show notes. If that is something that you need, they will be there in the show notes for you. And thank you so much, Mary, for coming on and talking about a subject that is difficult to talk about. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you everybody for listening to chakras and cuss words. Thanks for having me, Catherine. You are welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye.